Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 8th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The cost of constructing the National Children's Hospital is €450 million over budget. This was not known when the budget was being drafted and agreed before spending for this year was announced in October. It wasn't known when Fianna Fáil extended its confidence and supply agreement with the government either. It's a lot of money and poses a huge problem because in order to find €450 million, something has to give. Planned spending will have to be cancelled and other projects will need to be delayed. So, if the budget was built on a bed of sand, how did this happen? Officials in the Department of Public Expenditure only found out that their calculations on spending were out by €450 million in November. The officials say they were surprised they were not told of the increased costs when they were drafting the budget. It now transpires that Simon Harris, the Minister for Health, was told in August that the hospital was over budget by a potential €391 million. So, why did Minister Harris not raise the alarm? Why did he not flag a potential overrun of hundreds of millions of euro before the budget was agreed or before Fianna Fáil agreed to continue facilitating the government. The minister said he wanted to establish the facts that while he was being warned of significant overruns, the figures were not definitive. The minister says he brought the detail of the overspend to government once it had been established accurately. Harris says that's what ministers do. He he said, is not a messenger boy. But the message Minister Harris eventually brought to government, a definitive overspend of €450 million, has caused a political crisis and calls for Harris to be removed as minister. The minister appeared on TV's primetime last night and gave an inexplicably hard-to-understand account of his actions. The Taoiseach has issued a statement expressing his full confidence in the minister. Otherwise, Fine Gael has gone to ground and, like all other media, Fine Gael tells us they've nobody to talk to us about this this morning. Fianna Fáil TD for me, these Thomas Burns on the line, however, and good morning to you and thank you for joining us here on the programme this morning. Uh, how do you feel about all of this? Absolutely outraged, uh, Michael. Um, this is simply not the way to run your household. It's not the way to run a business. It's not the way to run a country. And it's extraordinary that this has been happening. I think that there's uh, huge incompetence now been shown in the Fine Gael party. I think that's exemplified by the fact that they couldn't get anyone to go in Morning Ireland this morning. Uh, I was certainly on standby for Morning Ireland if a Fianna Fáil spokes- a Fine Gael spokesperson was available. They're clearly not available even to come on their local radio. Michael, I've never run away from local radio in whatever the political crisis was uh, in my years in politics. Uh, and I think that says a lot, uh, that they're not prepared to come on to discuss this because they know uh, that this crisis is a crisis of their making. Uh, we in Fianna Fáil have been utterly and completely honourable uh, in relation to the confidence supply agreement. We've done everything that is required of us 
We've 50 days now until Brexit. We've said we stay in to make sure that that happens. Um, but Fine Gael have not been honourable uh, in relation to the Confidence and Supply Agreement. There's a no surprise clause in the Confidence and Supply Agreement, and there's no doubt uh, that they have stretched that to the point of breaking uh, on this particular issue. And I think they really need to uh, absolutely come clean in a way that they haven't done up to now on this. And it's, it's very difficult, very, very difficult uh, to put the country in this position as well. I mean, this isn't just about parties and about politicking. This is about the country. This is about the money that people pay in, in tax, in USC, even in PRSI. It all goes into, a, into, a, into, a, into, a, into the tax system. Well, when we all dragged ourselves out of bed this morning to get into work uh, well, uh, to you know, earn our wages, knowing there, that uh, a good portion of our wages will be paid in taxes for the government to write blank checks. People stuck on the N2 in traffic, people uh, on overcrowded trains from Dunboyne, Drogheda and Leytown, people you know, who can't get onto buses in Dunboyne, buses not showing up in Ashbourne. That's the, they are the people, actually, who are paying for all of this with their taxes. They're the people that Fine Gael now doesn't seem to be want, want to be accountable to in relation to hundreds and hundreds of millions of their money. Uh, and I think that this, is, this, this has really brought the government uh, to, to a level of crisis and just shows a level of incompetence and arrogance to think that they can go on and that they could go on the television and say, this is what I should have been doing. It's, it's, it's sad, really. The minister says he's not a messenger boy. This is what ministers do. Is this what ministers do in your mind? Well, look, I've never been a minister, but I've certainly had experience outside of politics, which I think is one of the problems with Fine Gael, actually. You know, they, they, a lot of them don't have much experience outside politics, and that's now showing up big time. Um, but when I worked in, you know, for commercial firms, uh, when I worked for small business, when I worked for, you know, everyday citizens, this is not the way they handled money, their own money. And it's not the way that one would expect government ministers of Fine Gael who, you know, like to bum and blow over the years, but how they look after the country uh, so well. It's not what people have, would expect. It's not the way uh, to deal. It's just it's, it's extraordinarily shocking uh, to me. And, you know, I'm very careful. I don't want to up the ante on behalf of Fianna Fáil. But, you know, I have said that the, you know, the no surprise clause, I mean, there's, there's nobody could say uh, that that hasn't been, uh, you know, stretched to the point of breaking. How surprised are you? Well, I mean, we're, we're massively surprised that, uh, at the way this is happening, first of all. Like that, you know, I mean, I put up an Instagram story last night, like, you know, I mean, Simon Harris finds out last September, says nothing to anybody else. I can't mm. even believe they wouldn't even mention this in the corridors of power, like when they're talking to each other. Look, by the way, there's a little bit of an issue. What do you think? Uh, as we would do in, in opposition. Or in terms of trying to protect the relationship Fine Gael has with Fianna Fáil, you think that there would be some mention of it. We're trying to no, establish on, the, the point facts. Here, the point here, Michael, as well, is that sorry, he, he knew about it. Oh, yeah. Didn't tell the Department of Public Expenditure. Yeah, yeah. And they go mad in November. Yeah. And then the Department of Health says, well, actually, we were trying to tell you in, in September. So Pascal Donoghue has a lot to answer for here. What's Pascal Donoghue doing? You know, he's the man in charge of public expenditure. He's the Minister for Public Expenditure. He's not watching. He's, not, he's supposed to be counting the beans, counting the money. And I think what's, what the real problem with this government now, Michael, and we've been making you know, political points for this for some time, mm. and it's really proven now, they spend more time on the photographs. We saw they launched the mm. Mideast Regional Business Strategy yesterday, photographs of um, ministers, Fine Gael, politicians, candidates, etc. You know, children's hospital, the high-vis jackets are out, the shovels are out. Mm. It, to me, it's government by press release. I and mean, when it actually gets into the hard work of actually governing, actually running the country... Okay. I don't think they're doing it. Okay, Simon Harris was told in August that there was the potential 
that this budget would overrun by 391 million euro. You sound suspicious uh, that Pascal Donoghue may have had the same information. Well, look, we don't know, Michael. But no, but you want to know, do you? Well, I, look, first of, of course, I want to know. We want to know everything that's happening. Mm. Um, and Pascal Donoghue, I think, I think needs to give more of an account of how, you know, on this particular issue. But like, because this, Pascal Donoghue, what's, happening on, pa- this? what's pa- happening on everything else? Well, Pascal Donoghue said he didn't know till November, but Simon Harris said he didn't know till November. Well, we know that's not true because he certainly knew last August uh, from the documentation that we have. But that there was a problem, but he didn't know it was four hundred and fifty million euro. He knew it was three hundred and ninety-one million ah, euro, and see, it's hundred million yeah. here, hundred yeah. million there. They don't seem to. It doesn't seem to bother them. Uh, and two hundred million of that uh, was. Uh, from the developers that was brought down to 60 million uh, so like I mean it, it's not straightforward but the point is when you're told that there's a, a potential overrun of 391 million euro when you're in a confidence and supply agreement with a, another political party and when you're about to form the budget on spending for the year ahead uh, surely you say it to people and that is the charge against Simon Harris uh, but you're well, suggesting this morning to us, but it's obviously of concern to the t- well, uh, that's in terms a, of how they deal with Fianna Fáil absolutely mm, it's of concern mm, and certainly there would be discussion this morning, I've had some already, and late last night, a number of us were discussing uh, these matters. And obviously, I'm sure. Do you feel you were duped? Well, what I've said, Michael, is I don't want to sort of up the ante because that, come, that becomes very, you know, that, that could be a cheap headline. But I have said very clearly, like, the, the, the no surprise clause has been stretched to the point of breaking on this particular mm. issue, okay? So, you know, we're, we're there going in a good faith, doing absolutely everything honourably okay. that we agreed to do. Uh, we go in there, our colleagues, Michael McGrath and uh, Barry Cowan, negotiate the budget, which, which obviously, you know, capital expenditures over various years. Mm. But, but uh, uh, items that happen in one particular year impact on the following year. My, my theory and other people's theory, I think uh, other, other parties have said this too, I, I, we think Fine Gael expected an election uh, early this year. And, you know, if they were able to get through the election without this, then it would all be forgotten. Well, I don't think mm. it will be forgotten because people have been badly burnt in the recession and people householders out there are counting up every penny and it's not good enough for a minister not to be concerned but you were duped weren't you I mean you signed off on a, a budget without being given the information uh, that made up that budget well Michael you know you've put a word out there it's a very good word I'm just reluctant to create a headline I don't but want did, to but, 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 but when, you, when, when there's facts that are, are being what I can say is Michael that when, when there have been issues that go to the heart of the confidence supply agreement uh, and look clearly this does yeah, but this is like I mean, it's on your watch. Uh, you're you're you're, yeah, you're, you're innocent. Like, like sorry, I mean, as we understand it, you're innocent in this, but it's on yeah. your watch yeah. uh, because you weren't told the facts. You weren't yeah, given absolutely. the facts, Mike, the, the just, information. Just, so you were duped, if that's true. Well, if you could just let me say this, yeah. right? So the facts are starting to come out. We don't know if we have all the facts. We could have made a decision yesterday, if you know, if I was on your show and you were pressing mm. me to give a particular answer. I wouldn't have had the information I had mm. last night. So we're just going to assess this as things go on in the next, like not over weeks or months, mm. but in the next days, there may be more stuff to come out. We don't know. So part of, the, we've part of the picture now from the Department of Health, what else is on the Department of Public Expenditure files? And in fact, there's a lot on their files because it says on one of the emails that was dumped last night from the Department of Health that the Department of Public Expenditure had repeatedly expressed concerns with the Children's Hospital. Now, we don't have the information about that. We don't know about that. So we certainly, I think, Pascal Donoghue needs to say, what, was he asking questions? Were his officials asking questions? What happened? Did that relationship between the Department of Health and the Department of Public Expenditure? So there's a lot more information to come out, and we certainly want to have all of the information. The information uh, that came out last night appears to have been some sort of misguided attempt to save Simon Harris's um, job. Did you watch Simon Harris's interview with I, the I, 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 I did, yeah. yeah. I thought it was... 
uh, you know, pretty poor. It was honourable of him to come on the radio. Nobody it was dreadful, it, wasn't it? He's in a tricky situation. He can't, he can't go get any. But I mean, it, it really was dreadful, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was... Uh, look, I mean, the truth is now... I mean, I, I, I got the impression he thought people were stupid. Uh, he was on national television talking to us, the people who get out of bed, who dragged ourselves out of bed this morning to go to work to earn her wages and a good portion of that going in taxes uh, to be writing blank checks. And he was suggesting to us that he's not a messenger boy. He's far more important than that. He's a government minister. And he doesn't have to be telling the government that there's a chance that they're going to plan to spend millions of euro that they don't have. I, 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 I wondered, is he a spoofer or is he just plain reckless? Well, probably both, actually, because there was certainly an element of, of spoofing last night and certainly the actions and inaction of last summer. And we don't know what, by the way, this is all that we know. We don't know what else was going on, but certainly it shows a level of recklessness. There's no question about that. Uh, with the people's money, because this project was powering ahead, uh, and nobody, nobody uh, called halt, or nobody, nobody said, right, what do we do now uh, to try and save save all this money? And I think it's it's simply outrageous. And so you think Simon Harris is a spoofer? You think he's reckless? What else would you say about him? I think that he doesn't show that he has the necessary experience and, and, and competence for this job. Is is is, is my view on it. Um, so, you know, we're going to have to see things, um, how things play out on this particular issue in terms of that. We have seen this, you know, we've seen two ministers resign from this particular government um, in the course of it. And there's a particular way that Fianna Fáil handles these issues. Uh, and certainly we'll be doing that. And it's not something that I can do live on radio. Um, but we will be, we'll be dealing with this in, in, the, in the most appropriate way and the way that we've dealt with these issues all the time. We come under a lot of pressure all the time, pull the plug uh, push them out, but like, people forget, like it's pretty unprecedented now for two ministers to resign already. Like that's Dennis Nocton mm. uh, and Francis Fitzgerald. So this government has a, has a pretty bad record as things stand, uh, and we're committed certainly for Brexit. That's in about fifty days' time, and we don't want to do anything that would harm the national interest in terms of Brexit. And we're not going to do that. We've given our we've anything we've done has been utterly honourable in, in all of our time in the conference supply. But Michael, I can tell you, Fianna Fáil wants to be in government. We think we can do a much better mm. job. And quite frankly, most of us have actually some level of outside, outside experience in terms of business or in terms of farming or whatever it is that many Fine Gael ministers don't appear to have. OK, and now I am going to ask you to write the headline because what I heard you say there is that you don't have confidence in Simon Harris as Minister for Health. Do you wish to state that? Uh, look, that's a matter really... That, that'll be a matter of the front bench of the leader of the party to make... Uh, but it's certainly your position personally, isn't it? Look, the, the, these things can't be done uh, on... Uh, I understand that. Because actually, Michael... But you, you, when, when there's a you're not able to express majority, your... But, but you personally uh, uh, are not able to express your confidence this morning. But when, when there's a government there with a majority, uh, a normal government as such, you know, people, opposition parties control around confidence mm. and mm. motions of confidence, mm. etc., and they mean absolutely nothing. But when an opposition party, well, the opposition party, Fianna Fáil, says that, it, it, it carries uh, unprecedented weight. So that's something that we use very, very carefully. We've shown before to use it extremely carefully. OK, well, maybe the headline writers will say that Thomas Byrne failed to express confidence in Simon well, Harris. Look, are, are, we're, not are, 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 we're not interested in the headline. No, I, we want, no, we no, I understand that. But I mean, we yeah. want to get the facts out of this. Mm. And the quickest way, actually, yeah. but, but our the quickest list... way, actually, to conceal yeah. the facts... Uh, would be for a minister to be no longer accountable 
uh, to the Dáil and no longer required to give those types of interviews because it's probably necessary that Simon Harris would give more of an account of what happened because Simon Harris goes, the money is still, we're still in trouble on the, on the issue of the money. Where else is this happening in the government, by the way? Is this, is this the way they operate? Is this the way they're dealing with the National Development Plan where, for example, the Slane Bypass refused uh, planning permission in 2012, uh, almost seven years to the day, the amount of money spent on consultants and advisors, that's all around the country. How much would it cost to construct a slain bypass? Well, I mean, they haven't gone out to tender on that yet. Yeah, so. but I mean, roughly. I mean, would you do it for 400? I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting all questions down on that mm. particular issue at the moment because I'm concerned about the amount of money that's been sent, spent on consultants yeah. there. But certainly it would build multiple slain bypasses, multiple mm. of them for the money that was... Well, you'd probably do it for the 450 million euros. Yes, you do, you do numerous slain bypasses for that. So, um, so it's, it's, you're talking massive money. You put a dual carriageway in the end too, uh, from from Kilmoon. You put a bypass of Julianstown. Mm. You put a, a new junction there at Ferry House, actually, probably for, for for that sort of money. So you'd actually solve a lot of the constituency traffic and public transport problems in Mid East uh, and Mid West, and probably loads for that type of money. And you're worried that they're just writing the checks? No, I'm worried that they don't seem to realise that that actually they have a responsibility to govern and to run the country and to do it in the most efficient uh, business-like way. But in terms of the hospital, they've just been writing the cheques. It's let's get it built. Let's take our place in history. Let it be our legacy. Yes, and it's very important to get it built. But I think the concern that I have, Michael, is that when problems arise, that they just completely gloss over them. It doesn't matter. It just is somebody else's money. And I think that's not the way anyone who aspires to be in government should be acting or operating. And what about the Taoiseach's statement this morning? Whilst you don't want to state publicly uh, well, if you have confidence or whether you don't have confidence. Are you surprised that the Taoiseach has come out and said that he has full confidence in Simon Harris and if he had have known then uh, what he knows now, he'd have told the minister to act in exactly the same way? Well, what do they call that, Michael? The dreaded vote of confidence. A Taoiseach of the day always issues a standard statement like that. Always. Uh, that, that's, that, you can look back in history, always. Francis Fitzgerald, Dennis Nocton, everybody. Um, and, and, and previous administrations too. Uh, so I certainly wouldn't put any store on that particular statement of the Taoiseach. But it's, what's far more important actually is today to get as much information as possible and see is this happening in other areas of government. And by the way, what's the impact going to be on school building? Mm. It's a question I put down in the doll and I didn't get any reassurance from the Minister that there wouldn't be an impact on, on school buildings. And that's right across um, county council budgets for roads, etc. are all going to be impacted by this uh, particular tobacco. Well, as I say, uh, Fine Gael or Fine Gael has gone to ground. Um, that tells you everything you need to know and everything your listeners need to know at this particular stage. And they should be reminded of that as well. When, yeah. You know, when they come on for the good ones as well, like that, you know, when they're, they're blowing their trumpets about good news, that they, you know, you need to be there uh, for, uh, and answering to the public. Yeah, and, you know, they're welcome to come on if uh, they change their mind, whether it's here or somewhere else. I know the minister was on primetime last night, uh, but uh, nobody has uh, come out uh, since uh, to make any comment whatsoever uh, in uh, relation to what he had to say, which was, to your ears and to my ears, completely inexplicable. Uh, we'll leave it there for the moment, though. I think it's going to be a long weekend, and uh, thank you for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Finnefall TD for Mead East, Thomas Byrne.
Three strike days uh, by nurses has had an impact. Uh, There is some room for hope uh, this morning because uh, the Labour Court will hear from nurses and the HSE at 11 o'clock and hopefully some sense can prevail because the impact has been great, as I say. Let's talk about this with Mairead Hayes, who's spokesperson with uh, the Senior Citizens Parliament. Good morning to you, Mairead, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, We all rely on the health service, none more so than uh, elderly people and uh, I'm sure this is as uh, of as much concern to you uh, if not more than most of us. Well, you know, we, we don't like to isolate older people from the rest of the, the country and I think that in terms of delivery of the health service um, everybody um, hopefully is equal but there is an issue I suppose as one gets older and uh, you know that more um there can be more sort of things lingering around in people's bodies and things happening to them but generally what we're hearing about the, this is that uh, the nurses have the support almost um 100% of of um people out there and um um I've noted um the honking of horns and all that mm. that's been going on as I've been around the city. Um I'm not sure in country areas but I can see that that's happening and um I think it's great that there are discussions taking place because at the end of the day um for everything that happens in to the parties need to get together and work something out you know well, absolutely and, and uh, I think there's that's no very important there is no doubt there's uh, widespread support uh, for the nurses and uh, the action that they're taking that but that uh, doesn't downplay the concerns that people have for their own health uh, for the health of their loved ones for that matter yes and i think that um you know um uh there, there are some, there are cancellations taking place, and um, that obviously has to weigh equally with government and um, with um, the nurses. And I think that, um, as people know, I suppose, in any industrial relations, and in that um, the longer um, things go on, uh, sometimes the more um, the positions harden or fester. So I think that um, it. It is great to see that there are discussions um, planned for t- today and I think that everybody will be hoping that something good comes from them and that um, there there can be a way forward found in relation to this. Okay, but uh, when uh, we think of this uh, and the idea of reduced uh, capacity at uh, emergency departments, uh, the cancellation of inpatient and outpatient uh, appointments, uh, planned procedures, uh, clinics and respite and care for the elderly for that matter. Uh, Undoubtedly, uh, there's many people uh, who are that bit older who are concerned about how long this may continue and if it continues to escalate how it can worsen because the idea of three rolling days of strike action next week should that go ahead uh, is really something that we shouldn't have to contemplate isn't it Maraid? Well I think that's why it's very important that um, you know that there is a concerted effort by both sides and that all of the people who can assist um, in making the talks productive are involved as well because I think that we all know, um, as I've said, I think i said it already, that, um, you know, the longer um, something goes on, um, the more difficult it can be uh, to sort it out. And I think that what I'm hearing um, mm. at the moment is 
widespread support for nurses and um, I think um, people who experience their services in A&E as you mentioned um, can see um, how uh, the conditions under which um, they're working and that and people really appreciate that mm. and I think it's professionalism as somebody who was in an A&E myself in the last six months it's, it's, it's fantastic to see um, how professional they are and the service that they're giving so I suppose the message that um, we would feel that's important is that um, people get down to talks. Um, I know mm. the weekend is coming up, but I think, you know, there's an opportunity there over the next two days to see um, what can happen and to sort things out. Mm. Uh, and, and that's important. Uh, and, uh, I mean, there's a call on government, uh, of course, to provide a health service. Uh, I mean, uh, can an administration govern without providing a health service? Uh, how can a government say we can't provide respite or rehabilitation for the elderly? Well, I mean, Michael, some of those issues now are are continuing issues that, um, uh, you know, over a number of years haven't been resolved in terms of we're all conscious that um, people are living longer, mm. um, our population are ageing. So I think they're, they're somewhat separate from some of this at the moment. But I think that our objective would be that we have a, a health service that allows people to age um, without worry and that uh, they can move from one aspect of their life to another. And we have to remember that people are now eligible to work until they're 70. Mm. Does so, it not come back um, to government? So that I mean, needs improved, uh, improved mm. um, interventions in terms of health as they, as they get into older years, because definitely... Um, they say talking keel lahish, but um, sometimes <laughs> sickness comes as well, you know, or mm. little twinges and twitches and things like that. Well, of course, but does the responsibility not lie with government? Because if nurses withdraw their labour, that obviously results in uh, the services being denied to people, and it is the responsibility, surely, of the government to provide those services, regardless of the merits of the dispute. Well, the situation at the moment is that um, that they're part of the two parties that are sitting down to try to resolve this dispute mm. as as it's unfolding in front of us at the moment, and um, they, you know, there are a number of duties that government has, and um, I think that uh, no more than the nurses, um, they are, I think, um, endeavouring um, to provide a service. And um, and um, we, all the time since I've been working mm. for the Irish Senior Citizens Parliament, want better um, health services. And again, that's something that the Exchequer pays for and it comes there. So I think it's important mm. that um, both sides have uh, a reasonable and rational approach. And I think government... Um, uh, uh, provided, but there are private um, providers as well, and I mean, but I think that in the main, uh, most of the accident and emergency and a lot of the services mm. are provided in the public system. And um, anybody who has had experiences in there, apart from, uh, always say to us that it was great and they got their knee done, they got whatever mm. done. Mm. And there are respite services, so there are a lot of things, but I think for the immediate thing today, I think that. I would hope that both sides um, can agree a path that they will explore over the next few days and 
and come up with some resolution of this. As things stand, though, there's no obvious scope for that, uh, and uh, that leads uh, to uh, the concern until we hear otherwise. Uh, But uh, in... Uh, the context of services being denied to, to people, again, regardless of uh, the merits of uh, the dispute, uh, it's pretty poor governance, isn't it? Well, one of the things that, that I have heard now, anecdotally, because I, is that where there have been approaches made in relation to an emergency that they have been facilitated. But I, I've heard that secondhand, so I can't say I've heard it. Mm. Um, as as a point, so I think that um, I I think that that's important as well, and I think um, um, I'm sure that both sides are very conscious of where they are now, and in some ways I think that they're sometimes better left to themselves to get uh, working on it and build up trust. And I would assume that over the last week or so that there have been contacts as well because. Everybody knows that this dispute will will eventually be sorted. And the question is, um, can we have wise heads that are going to do it sooner rather than later? Mm, I'm not sure that is the case, Mairead. Well, uh, I don't know. I'm not, yeah. I'm not no. privy. And, Michael, I'd, I'd like to be optimistic, yeah. you know, about... No, and so would I. But, uh, I mean, we know that uh, two ministers, uh, Donoghue and Harris, uh, the same two ministers uh, who were staring into the headlights, if you like, or certainly in the headlines uh, this morning over the National Children's Hospital, issued a press release suggesting that there was an offer of talks. Uh, you'd certainly be forgiven for getting that impression from reading the press release and uh, the INMO, the nurses, said, uh, well, we haven't been invited to talks. You can't govern by press release. Uh, and uh, the upshot of that was that the Taoiseach all but apologised. He said it was discourteous uh, to the nurses uh, to issue that press release and to make statements uh, in that fashion and that formal contact should be made or behind-the-scenes contacts, uh, as you suggest, would be appropriate, should be made. Uh, so it seems as though the two are at loggerheads. Well, I, I don't know if that's the case, but I think that um, the machinery of government should be available um, to the department and um, advice should be sought and heeded mm. in relation to how to move forward. I mean, we have had relative um, industrial peace, I suppose, uh, over a period of years and maybe um, what people might in the past have called tic-tac people or, mm. you know, different people like that and maybe aren't as obvious, but I would have thought that um, both sides would be ready to um, uh, sit down and talk. And, I mean, there is an opportunity if there's discussions going on today and um, there's Saturday and Sunday now. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's, that's um, you know, I mean, we don't want people to have to work 24 hours, but there is a possibility of 48 hours that could perhaps uh, be used to suss out how both sides are doing. And I think that... Sometimes it's better if that yeah. doesn't happen in the glare of the media. All right, and well, see, can they come up with something? Well, well hopefully they can uh, put this on hold for a while, uh, whilst some time is given to try and find a solution. As things stand, uh, there seems to be little prospect of that, and that may result uh, in some new body looking at uh, the pay claims that the nurses are making to see if there's any justification for them. In the meanwhile, there's this ongoing concern that people have who are not party to the dispute, uh, and for for older people uh, who feel anxious about going to hospital or going to their doctor for that matter because we've seen the doctors uh, outside of Lancer House what advice would you have to them 
Well, I think that um, we would say uh, if people aren't feeling well, that they should go to their GP, you know, and there are out of hours GP services as well in some areas. And I think it's important, um, you know, to to go and talk to somebody if you think that there is something that is going to cause you to perhaps be part of an emergency. Now, I'm not a nurse, mm. so I don't know about that. But, I mean, I think that um, it's like, um, you know, I, I know that there is anecdotal evidence that when people go to pubs at, <laughs> and things like that, that they talk about what's happening to somebody and, the you know, the what would you call it, the bar room, and people will say to them, oh, that's very serious, you better go to A&E or something. So what we'd be saying to people is talk to um, uh, trusted professionals that you know or family members and tell them how you're feeling. And if you think um, that it is something, let them come and see you. Do what you I would normally do. I think it is important do, yeah. as well yeah. that, yeah. Mm. that families, um, you know, uh, keep in touch with... Um, with their particular relatives mm. and that, just to make sure, because worry can bring on Absolutely, little anxieties. Yeah. And do what you would normally do, uh, as if there wasn't a dispute. Yeah, that, because it's, it's sometimes the idea that yeah, something yeah. isn't there that causes somebody perhaps to be a bit concerned. Okay. But mm. I, uh, Michael, I'm an optimist mm. by nature, so well, I'm, thank God I'm for that, confident. <laughs> yeah, well, you give us all a boost this morning, and thanks for doing okay, that. Thank thanks you. Okay, thank you. Hayes is spokesperson for the Senior Citizens Parliament. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's stay with uh, the dispute uh, the nurses have uh, with uh, the government. Marie Kearns was in Ashburn yesterday and she was asking people if uh, they could come up with a solution. Yeah, I think it's time the government got up off their backsides and to actually engage properly with the nurses because uh, it's going on too long. The nurses don't want to be out and the patients don't want them to be out. So the ball is in their court. They really need to, to start doing something. Do you worry that patients are suffering with thousands of appointments being cancelled every time there is a strike? They are, and and I don't know when they're going to be rescheduled because there's just not enough days in the week and where do those patients go? But also I think the nurses in the hospital that are left behind are, are suffering too because they're trying to make sure that nobody's in danger and there's a skeleton staff left in the hospitals as far as I know um, and they're taking a lot of the brunt too uh, for the cause. But I would hate to be on a waiting list and have a procedure and have waited for a long time and then for it to be cancelled. That's where the real concern lies. They're leaving UCD wherever with a level 8 education to put them through to put them through cost money so level 8 they should be on a decent wage after all those years studying and doing what they should do so yeah I definitely support them Would you be concerned at the number of hospital appointments that are being cancelled every day that they're out? I would, I would but again it goes back to you can use that against them of course but I think the government need to sort this out and sort it out quickly you know but certainly I do have sympathy for both sides but I suppose I'd have to stick with the nurses because they do a fantastic job. They're the one that'll look after you when you come into A&E or whatever. And I do, I think all those years of education and they're leaving. The bottom line is they're leaving. We're educating them and they're leaving. You know, mothers saying goodbye to their daughters and sons. This shouldn't be. They should just sort it out and pay them what they actually deserve. Oh, yeah. Jesus, they have, to, they have to do something with the health service. All we have is a part-time health service. You can't get sick Thursday, Friday or Saturday or Sunday. You only get sick Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. And the rest of the nurses are left there, the consultants, the doctors, they're on their private practices. Me, myself now, I'm waiting on a, an MRI scan for the last year. Where do you go from there, you know? 
And will that be delayed again because of the strikes? I'd say, I'd say it's not because of the strikes. I just, I, I think it's just the system that you wait two years. You know what I mean? If you, you used to be your health was your wealth, but now your wealth is your health. You know, so the poor. If you're sick, you need money, don't you? Well, a bit of dilemma. I absolutely support the nurses. I think they're underpaid. I think you know they're certainly due some recompense for the work to do. I also have some sympathy for the government there because of the the state of the finances and the fact that you know all other public sector workers are going to look for an increase if this happens so there's a bit of a dilemma there I think there'll have to be some sort of resolution there usually is um, what it's going to be you know anybody knows at this stage but I think the government will have to give them something but I don't think they'll be able to give them what appears to be a pay rise because it's going to have impact on the government spending public opinion is going to change you know the longer this goes on people are going to be impacted and certainly people are going to feel less support for the, for the nurses I think uh, I think they're right they work under very stressful situations they don't get paid enough and I think health and safety is the issue here more so than money and I think they're probably taking that into consideration the health and safety issues yeah. Does it concern you that it might drag on there's three days now next week planned and that patients could suffer? Very much so, yes, yes. Especially seriously ill people who need operations and I don't know what the solution is. I think they just, I really don't know. Somebody's got to sort it out one way or the other. Okay, I'm just out of hospital. Um, I was in Blanchestown last week when the nurses' strike was taking place, so I've seen it firsthand. I think the nurses deserve a pay rise to compensate them for the loss that they've incurred over the last number of years. I think it's incumbent upon all the parties to come to a solution in relation to it before there's a tragedy in relation to the dispute. Of course you, you'd be concerned for patients but what people have to realise is that even though there's a dispute going on, there's a huge service still being supplied by the nurses on an ad hoc basis in relation to the dispute. I mean I witnessed them coming in and working like Trojans in relation to the dispute while they were actually on the picket line as well you know so. I would still support them I think they need to continue on and I don't think they're leaving anybody in hospital and under any massive amount of worry I think you know we need to continue to support them. Thousands of patients are having appointments cancelled every day they're out on the picket does that worry you or concern you the patients could suffer? Well, I think we've enough to concern about with all the, the delays and people getting appointments. So I actually don't think, you know, a couple of days is not going to make a difference. We have much bigger fish to fry with people waiting years on appointments. So I think we need a huge overhaul of the whole system. So I don't think a few days is going to matter. I think we need to really push the government to, to listen to them. I don't think it's about pay increases. I think it's about pay restoration. And I think it's about looking at the, the conditions that they're working under. And I've two little children here I've had two children uh, in the last two years and I can tell you now that in uh, well the rotunda where I went there was not enough midwives and it's it's hard looking and you know you're getting frustrated that there's not enough of them there to help you but it's not really their fault you know well it's not their fault at so all. So you feel the nurses are doing it for you as a patient? Absolutely. Well I would have thought that we're in a, in a day and age where these things could be sorted out without uh, people going out as they're doing. I'd be a little bit afraid that they'll lose sympathy from the public because generally they would have public backing. And they have had a lot of support over the last week haven't they? Uh, yes and rightly so but I, I don't think that might last you know what I mean the more you go into it that... Um, Three consecutive it, it, days next week 
week, which yes. will have a big impact. Yes, you see, that's very serious. But it strikes me that there must be a better way to do this. And there's two sides, so it's a bit uh, juvenile, I suppose you might say. But I think that they're the right to go on strike um, because of the work that they do. I will be forever, I suppose, grateful to the nurses because that's my daughter there. And she had twins born very, very premature. And if it wasn't for the nurses and their quick actions those babies wouldn't be here today. So, yeah, give the nurses what they want. Strong opinions there, and thanks to everybody for expressing them to us and taking the time out to speak with Marie Kearns in Ashburn yesterday. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Marie? How much time have we got, Michael? Oh, have you been busy, yeah? <laughs> we sure have. Okay. John from Kells was in touch to say that if Fianna Fáil don't have the guts to get rid of Simon Harris over these current health debacles then Thomas and his party colleagues need never come near John again looking for a vote because they won't get it. He feels the Fianna Fáil are full of huff and puff and they never make any real decisions. Thomas said several times that they've been honourable in their dealings but John says they're just using Brexit as an excuse for not having the guts to walk away from the confidence and supply agreement. Okay, well I'm not sure that Fianna Fáil is going to walk away from the confidence and supply agreement but Thomas Byrne did quite notably highlight how two government ministers have uh, been forced to to resign from office uh, since uh, the agreement was originally put in place uh, which might give you the impression that we could be talking about a third resignation in the coming days. A different John this time John O'Brien from Navin says there's a lot of controversy about the overrun of the Children's Hospital Project but John says from what he can remember this is hardly a new thing in Ireland Michael for example when the port tunnel was being built it was due to cost 400 million but as far as he knows it ended up costing over 700 million Mm. and he says there were similar overruns with the aquatic centre and other government projects where budgets ran wildly overboard Mm. so why is there such a surprise that this has happened this time around? Okay well there's the overrun and that in itself is a story as was those other stories Uh, the overrun of the M50 was uh, quite massive as well and uh, I think uh, we could talk about overruns and government writing blank checks forever and a day. But what's different about this is that it's now been established that this was flagged to the minister in August. He knew that there was the potential that the government would be short of 400 million euro going into the budget because the hospital was over budget by 400 Mm. billion euro. So then the government went ahead and did up the budget but he hadn't spoken to them. There was no knowledge of it. And now they're in a situation of having to claw back some 450 million euros. I know. It's hundreds of millions. Yes. It's not just mm. a 10 or a 20 euro we're talking about <laughs> no, here. No, it's not 10 hundreds or 20 million. million. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Eddie was listening yeah. to the discussion with Thomas Byrne and he fe- feels it's all right to be shouting about Fine Gael. I've no allegiance to any party, but, you know, I'm hearing Fianna Fáil here criticising Fine Gael, but when Fianna Fáil were in government, the country was broke. Nobody knew anything about it. Those in glass houses can't afford to throw stones. It's very hard to understand the politics in Ireland today, says right. Eddie. Well, I mean, two wrongs don't make a, a right at the same time. And uh, I'm sure Fianna Fáil would say that they've learned uh, the lessons from that, whether you believe them or not, it's another day's work. But it, it doesn't take away from the questions that are being asked of Simon Harris, of the Taoiseach, of the Minister for Finance, of the government generally, by Fianna Fáil, by Labour, by Sinn Féin, by the people of the country, I think, at this stage. 
A texter says, why doesn't the Department of Health do a financial audit of each hospital group? Maybe it's time for that. Uh, Joanne from Dundalk, I don't know which scenario is worst, Michael. That Simon Harris was told about this potential overspend Mm. last August and thought it's so insignificant that he failed to flag it or that he was told and he deliberately never raised it. Yeah, well, he he didn't think it was so insignificant that he he failed to flag it. Uh, He's never said that. He's said... That he didn't know exactly how much it was. There were still. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Doing their sums, they were still working it out that he was told uh, that there was uh, 190 overrun and he stand over that. Uh, but then he was told that the developers were looking for an additional 200 million. Uh, apparently that was brought down to 60 million. So he's right in some sense in saying that the figures weren't finalised. But he knew that there was an overrun of hundreds of millions. It turned out to be 450 million rather than the 391 million he thought it was. So uh, it was uh, pretty much on the money, pardon the pun, uh, and people will say that uh, it should have been brought to the attention of those who were involved in drafting the budget for next year so that projects were not budgeted for that cannot go ahead now because the money isn't there because it needs to be made up uh, to pay that overrun for the children's hospital. Hold that thought for a moment, though, because we'll stay with health issues and money and how much the nurses are being paid. Uh, They're the worst paid nurses in the world, according to a headline in the Irish Sun today. And we're joined by Kieran Deneen, who's public affairs correspondent with the Irish Sun. Tell us more, Kieran. Morning, Michael. Morning, yeah, well, you. this is a claim from the INMO uh, General Secretary on the picket line, Phil Nishida, who said that in the global market where they are sought in every country in the world, Ireland is still the lowest paying country. So uh, that's the claim from the INMO that uh, our nurses are the lowest paying um, in in the countries where um, they can work. Mm. Um, now, it is a claim uh, hotly disputed by the government, but uh, they're certainly sticking firm to that and they're saying, making the point that nurses' starting salaries in Ireland are lower than the UK, uh, Canada, New Zealand, Australia and other places. All right, uh, but no surprise uh, that there's so many Filipino nurses working in uh, this country when you look at uh, the rates there, which are, in fact, the worst paid in uh, the world. Uh, the Taoiseach was in the doll this week, I, I think it was, saying uh, that, uh, in fact, they're some of the best paid nurses in Europe. And the government has issued a statement to the Irish Sun saying that uh, they're better paid, in fact, than would be the case in the UK. Well, exactly. The government is uh, relying on this uh, study done last July by the Department of Public Expenditure, which amongst its findings uh, was that a nurse starts at a basic salary that is 21% higher than a nurse in the UK. And when they finish... Uh, the highest grade is about 30 or 40, between 30 and 40 percent higher than a nurse in the UK. And they claim in this study that nurses here are paid, uh, once you take in, factor in the economy and mm. issues like that, they're paid just as well as in Australia and higher than New Zealand, Canada and, and Britain. Um, now that's completely disputed by Dynamo, who say they don't ex- ex- accept those figures. And you can see this by the number of uh, nurses who are leaving to go to Britain and America. 
uh, Canada and so forth. So um, yeah. both sides are pulled apart when it comes to the uh, data, I guess, as well as their stances on this issue. Uh, and the department uh, claims to you uh, in the Irish Sun uh, that uh, the nurses are well paid. Uh, they've highlighted uh, the pay of some 83% of nurses. Yeah, they say exactly 83% of nurses are earning over 40,000 euro and um, that doesn't include allowances which comes, which, uh, which comes to an extra 20% on average, so it bring, would bring that up to almost 50,000. So uh, the government also has put out a figure of 57,000 euro as the average uh, salary of um, of nurses here. So uh, again, that figure is disputed by the, by the INMO, but um, you know, the figures do, it's government figures are correct, they do seem to be uh, relatively well paid, but uh, as I say, the INMO. Uh, don't don't seem to be accepting those figures at the moment. Okay, well they say they're underpaid uh, and uh, should be regraded uh, so that they're getting the same type of money, reach pay parity with uh, grades such as physiotherapists uh, and so on and I imagine that the cost of living, the cost of housing and that sort of thing plays into all of this as well. But thanks for joining us uh, this morning, Kieran, uh, with uh, that detail. Kieran Deneen, Public Affairs Correspondent for the Irish Sun. Now back to you and uh, Marie, you've uh, more comments that you've sure been getting do. from it's people, as you said, the, you've a lot. Sticking mm-hmm. with the Children's Hospital just for the moment, uh, Eamon feels that work on the hospital should be stopped immediately, that an investigation into every check so far should be done. Every penny needs to be accounted for before another brick is built, he feels. Charlie from Navin was listening in. Does Simon Harris think that the people are stupid? Good question, Michael. Yes, of course he does. All politicians, I feel, think that the people are stupid. We are into February, into a new year, and we all know what happened last year with the cervical cancer crisis mm. and the Morris McCabe scandal. It's looking no better this year. The proof has been there for the past few years. A good question, Michael, was asked a couple of months ago on your show. Has the style of politics fallen in this country? Yes, I feel it has. There is no accountability by any political party, it seems, who are in government. Yeah, well, I think the style of politics has fallen, not just in this country, but around the world. And I have to say, I did take exception, personally speaking, to the minister's interview last night, because he was saying, no, I don't tell the government that they might be short hundreds of millions of euro before they're about to draft the budget for next year, until I find out if it's hundreds or thousands of millions. Just thought that, well, and he's know, not a messenger boy well, that's either. It. Let's he, remember well, that. Mike. Well, well, that's that, that. That that was his defense. I'm too important. Yes. To do that, I'm not a messenger boy. I'm too important. I mean, it was hard to think otherwise. And if we are wrong, well, we would be glad to hear from the minister if he wants to come and explain it to us on the programme, or if Finnegal wished to put forward a representative to defend the minister. They're more than welcome to do so. But Fine Gael has gone to ground. Fine Gael is not talking. All the TDs, all the senators and so on that Fine Gael has and not one of them available we to tried, the media. Michael, we, we tried, Michael. We tried. We did, but not just us. No. Uh, I think all of uh, the news organisations, RTE, News Talk and all of the other radio stations uh, have been looking for spokespeople. Simon Harris on the telly last night. The Taoiseach issued a statement. Stock response. Yes. Full confidence and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, no defence. 
Can I just get to one yeah. more comment before mm. we finish? Because Trey's took the bother to email us yesterday following the interview with Deputy Pather Tobin just mm. on the nurses' strike. And she says that Deputy Tobin just lost me when he said the patients having appointment cancelled because of nurses' strike was fine as appointments are always being cancelled due to a broken system. How can nurses say all patients in hospitals and clinics and all outpatients with cancelled appointments today are safe when so many thousands of nurses are missing from their posts? This suggests that not as many nurses are needed or under the excessive workloads in normal time as they claim. There is not one iota of proof that raising nurses' pay will stop or bring back a single nurse from their travelling abroad. This is fallacy and totally misleading. The current propaganda and militancy has been well rehearsed and the public are falling for it, claims trees. Just when the system was starting to come to grips with delays and cancellations, the nurses sadly decided to strike. A strike was needed to increase increase pressures again in the system and set it back for more years to come. God, strong words there, strong thoughts and uh, thanks for sharing them with us and uh, thanks to everybody who has been in touch. Thanks Marie for that matter for bringing us uh, those calls and indeed those opinions. As always if you'd like to add to what's been said we'd love to hear from you and our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now we're going to talk about Brexit once again with Peter Fitzpatrick. Peter is an independent TD as you know along the border uh, but he's uh, not too long uh, out of the Fine Gael party uh, where uh, his natural home probably lies and uh, represented Fine Gael for many years. So before we talk about uh, Brexit, perhaps uh, you could tell us a little bit about the workings of Fine Gael. It appears to us this morning that Fine Gael has gone to ground on the hospital issue. Would that be unusual? Would a directive be sent out, in other words, I don't want anybody to talk? Michael, first of all, I'd say... Uh uh, for years and years I, I put my hands up I was always a big fan of Simon Howes mm. I thought every time I went to Simon Howes you could talk to him and he'd listen to you and he'd always do something for you but I, I thought over the last number of years I, I just seen a, a different type of Simon Howes uh, I, I will say one thing he can definitely talk the talk mm. but he definitely can walk the walk I think that the, the job the portfolio to give him as head minister I think he's completely and utterly out of his debt I think uh, uh, I think Thomas Bowen said it earlier on in your programme this morning uh, there's not enough business people in the doll and to me a capital of maybe up to as far as two two billion uh, putting someone who mm. uh, I think I think Simon came from uh, he used to work for uh, Francis Fitzgerald as a, as, a, as a PA and came from a kind of a journalist background and that mm. there like to me this, this this new children's hospital the person who the minister the minister for health looking after that there should have been someone who has experience like like that kind of money is unreal like, but when you were a Fine Gael TD was it unusual or did it ever happen that you'd get a call or an email saying no media well, Michael, I, I think, in fairness, Michael, I think it'd be very, very bad for me to start talking about Fine Gael, the, the previous Fine okay. Gael. I, mm. I, I, I don't think it'd be fair in, in, in the people in Fine okay. Gael. Well, the fact, well, we'll, we'll, we'll assume, without asking you to put words on that, that that is the case, that Fine Gael representatives have been instructed not to talk today. Uh, if that is the case, what does that mean in terms of Simon Harris's future? Well, uh, uh, 
uh, I, I think the relationship that Simon Howes has at the moment with Leo Varadkar is very, very good. Uh, I think Leo put a lot of pressure on Simon the last number of years. The, the, the two things that he wanted to pass was the Eight Amendment, uh, the referendum, and also the alcohol bill. So to me, uh, I think the relationship they have at the moment is very, very good. Uh, I think when Simon Howes discovered in uh, in August, and I, I was listening last night on the prime time, uh, saying oh, he thought it was 100 million and next thing it was 390 million, no matter what it was, even a 1 million, like, like, Simon Howes would have to speak to someone about that there. And, and I'm a firm believer that the person he did speak to would have been Leo or Pascal because the relationship they have over the last number of years is very, very good. Like, I know if I have a problem, uh, I talk to someone about the problem there at the moment is because like, we're all learning. But I maintain that the government and the government talked their finger off the pulse at the moment is uh, I think, I think just let the, let the Children's Hospital take its way. Uh, uh, people say uh, the Children's Hospital. But, but would that not make him a messenger boy? No, but what I'm saying to Michael is uh, people say, oh, they're looking at this new Children's Hospital mm. for the last 40 years. Mm. Like, I'm not just trying to say this. The public won't listen to that at the moment. Mm. At the moment, we've, we've, got, we've got three serious issues at the moment. We've yeah. got the Children's Hospitals, mm. we've got the Brexit, and we've got the Nurses' but, but But do you not buy this argument that the minister made last night that he's a minister he's not a messenger boy and that if he was to go running to Leo Bradker or Pascal Donoghue and saying well that might be an overrun of so much and I'm not sure and it may not be that much or whatever that it would essentially make a, a fool of him that he was more important than that well, I think he made a major mistake when he realised in in August there was three hundred ninety uh, one million uh, mm. surplus uh, gone missing. However, is he, he tried to he tried to blame the contractor increasing by two hundred million, and then he started talking about the, like. Mm. From well, he di- said he'd bring that down. He did. It was brought down to sixty million, yeah. but the ultimate uh, overall cost was more. In fact, four hundred and fifty million. The overrun. Mm. The biggest mm. problem at the moment is we do need a children's hospital, but at the same time too is the government made a major mistake and putting someone with the inexperience of Simon Howes to look after the children's hospital. And you believe he has to go? I didn't say that. The, the, the bottom line right. is, like, you know, listen, listen, the bottom line is, I would say it, I think, I think, I think the government, I think Leo Varadkar has no choice whatsoever because the bottom line is, uh, there's two people involved here at the moment is, you've got Simon Howes involved here and you've got Pascal, Pascal O'Donoghue involved here. So, listen, the bottom line is, one of them has to go and the person who's responsible for the children's house at the moment is the Minister for Health and I see, I see, I see there's, no, there's no other thing but he'll have to go. Okay, let's talk about uh, Brexit. Uh, you're uh, as interested as anybody, all the more so as a uh, representative uh, of uh, people who are living along the border. Uh, we're Really, you're not going anywhere very fast. Uh, what are your thoughts on it all at this stage? Well, the main concern of my constituents in, in the Dundalk and surrounding border areas is, is the border. And to be honest, you, you know, uh, this Theresa uh, uh, May, the, the UK government triggered uh, Article 50 on the, uh, on the 29th of March 20, 2017, and it's nearly two years up. And in fairness, we have 50 days to go. I don't think anybody realise what's actually going on there at the moment. Uh, the one good thing is, I would rather be part of a 27 EU rather than the UK on their own. I think, uh, like, I think Jeremy Corbett gave a kind of a lifeline there during the week mm. and we made a few different offers. But the bottom line is the moment, I think the UK is an actual tall mine at the moment. I think they're having a clear what the right hand and left hand's doing. I just think that Ireland at the moment is, like, I come from a, from a business background and, like, in fairness, all the businesses around the border area, and don't forget, Michael, we have 310 miles of a border area, or if you want to call it, and say 499 kilometres. People are really, really concerned. But there's one thing I will say at the moment is, I think the preparations are starting to take off. Mm. Like, I, as I said, is, uh, I think there's, I, from day one, when I heard uh, Article 50 being triggered, I said, 
let's look at the positive things here at the moment is like like Ireland's still going to be part of the EU it, they're going to have a market of 500 million people you can't beat that I was reading the Guardian newspaper this morning and I know if I was in the UK I'd be sick the mm. Guardian newspaper was talking about uh, oh, the UK is going to get business from Australia and New Zealand do you know that if a ship went to leave the UK today it would take 50 days to get to Australia and New Zealand I don't think the realise would have done like I don't want the UK to leave to leave, to leave the EU because I think of the last 40 years we built a fantastic mm. relationship up with, with the UK and when, when, when there was trouble a few years ago there the UK were one of the first to give us a hand the Good Fight Agreement has been you know, it's been fantastic and I, I just think we were, we're just starting to make progress I've got relations in the North I've got mm. relations in the UK like going, going up to the North and going to the UK it's, it's fantastic and it's fantastic for everybody and of I, course hope of a trade deal with America have been scuppered to some degree because of the statements the congressmen have made. But as you say, there is some hope. Are you optimistic that a deal will be done? Because this isn't over yet and it won't be over until the fat lady sings. And it seems as though Mrs May may get a deal because of Jeremy Corbyn's support for her deal. Oh yeah, I think like let's let's call it a spade a spade. Like, like the 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 UK is going to have no choice whatsoever. The 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 UK will have to do a deal, and I think as I said earlier on, is uh, Jeremy Corbyn's give her a lifeline. But I said yeah, like like I would hate to be in the position the UK there at the moment is. Like like they're going to have to start making the decisions now. Like if they decided to have a no deal, a no deal. Listen, straight away we're going to have a hard border in mm. in, in, in the island of Ireland. It means that the border is no longer an Irish border. It's going to be a European border. And this this is going to cause severe chaos. But I think the, the I have to say one thing for the EU and I put my hands up is, and I was we were wary from day one is they really really have got their shoulder behind the wheel in supporting in supporting in supporting Ireland. And I think I think that's the right way. Mm. I think some of the, so, some of the comments that was made by mm. EU officials over the last couple of days didn't help. I, do, I just think that's that special the, uh, place I, in hell. I, and that sort I, of I, I don't yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah, think yeah, them yeah. things help. Mm. Like as I said, he is. I think we've got mm. a special relationship with the UK, uh, Northern Ireland, and the Republic of Ireland, the island of Ireland. Mm. We've got a great relationship there at the moment. Is and the last thing I'd want to see or mm. anybody would want to see is a hard border. And Theresa May was in Brussels yesterday saying that they weren't helpful comments uh, that Donald Tusk made about that special place in hell. Uh, it seems as though there was little point to her journey. Although I understand from reports uh, this morning uh, that official on both sides will re-enter negotiations again next week and Mrs May will return to Brussels the week after uh, and there is hope that Jeremy Corbyn may get her over the line uh, but there's also quite a lot of confusion as to why she's coming to Dublin tonight uh, do you think that she might have anything to offer? No, I think what she's trying to do there at the moment is listen to reports coming out that uh, she's probably trying to get the Northern Ireland Assembly back up and running uh, Like the, in fairness, like if you look at the people in Northern Ireland they have absolutely, absolutely nobody looking after them. And in fairness, and uh, I think I think the Irish government has done a good job. I was listening to Ivan Yates last night and, and uh, the, M- the, the, the MEP there for mm. Sinn Féin, she, she, she put her hands up and said that the Irish government are really doing their best. I think the good thing about the Brexit is... But it, the DUP are running Northern Ireland from oh, Westminster. Oh, Michael, there's, there's no doubt whatsoever. Mm. Like, uh, mm. Arlene Foster there with a 10, uh, 10 MPs in mm. the UK, oh, without a doubt. Yeah. because They don't uh, want the, the Assembly to be restored. Well, I, I don't know who wants the Assembly or who, who don't want the Assembly, but, but I'll tell you one thing. But it's not in the interest of the DUP to restore the institutions, is it? I mean, because no. they... 
it's 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 in the interest of the people in Northern Ireland that the assembly gets back up and running, and like you know, like in, in, Arlene Ford is coming mm. to, to coming to uh, to Dublin this evening. Uh, Leo Farrakh was heading up to, to Belfast in the afternoon. But the DUP won't want that. I mean, they'd have to listen and maybe pander to the needs of nationalists, whilst they have everything at their fingertips now. They have to tell all they have to do is tell Mrs May to jump, and she's going to say how high. Well, in fairness, I think I think the Conservative Party over the last number of years is a complete chaos. Like, if you look at the 2015 general election in the UK, uh, David Cameron gave a promise to the people mm. in the UK that he'd have a referendum. I don't think himself he realised that he would get an overall majority. I think when, mm. when the results came in in 2015, he did realise he made a mistake. But it is true to say that the DUP tail is wagging the Tory dog, isn't oh, it? Oh, there's no doubt. No mm. And as I said, the next thing then, uh, uh, Theresa May uh, called a snap election in 2017. Mm. She thought she might well, get an overall majority. Yeah. That, that was a serious mm. mistake. Mm. And I'll tell you one thing, uh, well, she actually actually done the Irish government there at the moment. Is, like, Leo Varadkar, for the last 12 months or 18 months, is absolutely dying for mm. a general election. If you look for the last six months there before Christmas, he really, really stole it off Michal Martin. Like, some of the things he did say to Michal Martin, I can't understand why he never called a general election. Fine Gael don't want to cause an election. They don't want to be seen to be causing mm. an election. Michal Martin is in behind the government. And in fairness, like... like he, he can't really call a general election either because nobody knows what's going to happen with the Brexit. Uh, we, we kind of know more after the 29th of, uh, of March. Uh, m- my personal opinion is I think that the UK government will, will look for an extension of Article 50 mm. to try to extend it for the next two years. But the only thing I'm a wee bit afraid of is that just kicking the can down the road. I think the well, EU, that's it because they have to save face somehow, don't they? They can't be told you have to take the backstop. Uh, but you can't have alternative arrangements to the backstop because then it's not a backstop. The backstop is a black and white take it or leave it thing and if they're told take it well then they'll be told what to do and they'll be humiliated. Uh, If they leave uh, well they're going to regret it uh, as we all will or if they somehow decide to stay they'll be the laughing stock of Europe. Well, if you look at it, I think I think it's 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 in everybody's mind at the moment. The word Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. Whether you're in the UK, whether you're in China, whether you're, no matter what part of the world, people do see what's going on. And in fairness, I don't think the UK has done themselves any favours whatsoever. Like one week they're in, and another week they're right. Mm. Uh, Theresa May is making promises to the Conservative Party. Now she's going to have to meet Jeremy Corbett. Uh, now she's she's in Brussels. Now she's in Dublin. She's completely all over the shop there at the moment. Is and I'd say what, what my my opinion is uh, they're going to have no choice but to extend. Article 50 because the bottom line is uh, they need they need to stay in the customs unit they need they need a single market like as I said yes uh, you get a boat today leaving the UK 50 days to get to New Zealand or Australia mm. just just as a muck no absolutely not uh, will it go down to the wire what did I, what's, like, mm. the only thing is I've I, I listened to, listen to, listen to very carefully is that Europe seems to think that a deal will be done the UK seems to think that the deal will be done the Irish government seems to think that the deal will mm. be done and I hope there was a deal done mm. Quite possible that there won't be a deal though uh, yes, and the, the big, the bottom line at the moment is, and uh, I seen, I, was, I see the government bought uh, a sixteen-acre site there in Rosslare, and in, in, in Port in Rosslare, mm. they just used to belong to Bill Cullen. Mm. I'm sure they paid big money for that. So to me, uh, and they're starting to get all these new, 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 new people in Muckin. There's mm. rumours between three and four hundred people now being signed up to, to work. Uh, like the last thing we want to do is to see a hard border. Yeah. I grew up at a hard border, and since 1998, this country has mm. been a fantastic country. Well, they need in. a building the size of Crow Park to put on that site, won't they? To do with customs arrangements and that sort of thing. 
Well, at the moment, at, mm. at, at, at the moment, uh, uh, the site they bought was a, was mm. a sixteen-acre site. I believe at one stage uh, that site could hold nine thousand cows. Yeah. So you can imagine it's the size of the, of the, of the sixteen acres. Like, in, in, in fairness, I, I think I think the Irish government and the EU has done really, really well here at the moment. Is and I think it's it's time for Theresa May. All the MLAs down in Northern Ireland, everybody to get together in the UK side of things and get it sorted out once and for all. Because the last thing you want to do is like in in the dark and surrounding areas, people are really, really concerned about the about the, about the border. A lot of people in the area have really invested highly in in, in, in this. Now the thing is, and the UK doesn't understand is the amount of companies that's leaving the UK to come to Ireland. I remember about six months ago there, I was talking to Pascal O'Donoghue in the Dáil, and he says to me that it did a million square metres of square feet of buildings of office mm. space in Dublin it'd be gone so listen it, it, it's a lot of good things happening but at the same time too at the moment is the government's going to have to you know, sort this out because if, 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 the, if, the, if the UK do pull out of the EU like a lot of more companies are going to come to, come to Ireland now we're not prepared for that there at the moment is like the housing crisis at the moment has to be sorted out like you know for once and for all and I think it's coming to the stage now at the moment is especially now the first thing the government's going to have to do is that, it, that the UK leave it out of the deal is we're going, to, we're going to have to take in some kind of emergency legislation that makes sure that when all these companies come that there's just houses available for them like as you've seen yourself the homeless the amount of people in witness at the moment this is something that the government's going to have to do and I think now is the right time to do it Alright we'll leave there for the moment thanks for coming in to us as always Independent TD in Louth Peter Fitzpatrick Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Friday for our review of uh, the contributions made in Leinster House over the course of the week by TDs and senators from counties Louth and Meath. The report is brought to you by the Houses of the Oireachtas. Here's our parliamentary correspondent, Ken Murray. Hello again and welcome to this week's edition of the Louth Meath Oireachtas Report. We begin a roundup this week with a contribution made in the Senate on Wednesday. Labour Senator Jed Nash told the House that plans are being worked on to dump nuclear waste in an area that is part of the Mourne Mountains in County Down, a plan, he said, which would have detrimental consequences for people living in the North East. I'm extremely concerned to learn from residents in North Louth of plans from an agency operating on behalf of the UK government to develop a site for nuclear waste in the Mourne Mountains. My understanding of international law as it applies to uh, environmental matters and nuclear matters is that this government, the Irish government, is obliged to be informed, notified and consulted on a project of this nature. I think the reality is that because the Northern Executive is meeting at the moment, the UK are using that opportunity to create a dumping ground for nuclear waste in the South Down, South Armagh area bordering my constituency of Louth. The Senate was told on Wednesday that the closure of the reception area at the Revenue Office in Navan is causing chaos. Fine Gael Senator Ray Butler said the situation is ridiculous. I had an elderly lady that had a pension from Germany and she needed to get documentation to fill out this form that she gets yearly from Germany. And she rang up the uh, Revenue Office's and it was five weeks to book an appointment. So I decided I would bring her over to Navin, to the Revenue Office, to get the form filled out. When we arrived at the office, the reception area is closed. The doors are shut, and there's big signs up on the doors, basically saying, ring this number. And it's five weeks before you get an appointment. Now, thankfully, we got in that day, and when we got in, we were looked after. 
But we had to wait for somebody else coming out of the office that, that, that had a meeting. And I think it's scandalous to think that the reception areas in the revenue are closed. And this is now new policy all over the country. A call was made on the government to properly address citizenship for immigrants. Fianna Fáil TD for Louth, Declan Brannock, told Minister Catherine Zappone in the Dáil on Wednesday that this issue is causing problems for those trying to seek access to third-level education. He also called on the Minister to sort out the high cost of childcare for struggling families. In your speech, Minister, you referred to the pathway for citizenship. I want to refer to in my own constituency where we have obviously asylum seekers in Mosny and indeed the whole pathway for those children's education while laudable at primary level and indeed secondary level oftentimes the failure to be able to make success at third level and many of the parents indeed who have many third level education and, and the need to rectify that. And lastly but not least I want to refer to the issue of affordable childcare scheme. Many families, Minister, are struggling to afford childcare and those thresholds need to be increased for those families. I thank you for your work, but you will be rated on the basis of those who are failing. The European Parliament elections bill was discussed in the Dáil during the week. It will give legal effect to the gain of two additional MEP seats in Ireland following the British exit from the EU next month. However, Fianna Fáil TD for me, the West, Shane Castle, said on Wednesday that if the UK gets an extension to remain in the EU, the two extra elected MEPs in this country may not be able to take their seats in Brussels. To win an election and find that, well, you're not going to go off to do the job that the people of your region voted for you to do is even worse than a defeat. And having expended all of that energy, finance, team members volunteering coming out to engage in the democratic process only to end up with what has effectively a non-result is simply unbelievable. It's it's an amazing position that could possibly uh, fall out from the ongoing drama that's playing out across the water. Irish MEPs elected by the people only to be put on ice and left there. The nurses' dispute was discussed at length during the week in the Oireachtas. Speaking in the Dáil on Thursday, Sinn Féin TD Gerry Adams said the public are fully behind the nursing profession. Last week, I joined the uh, nurses on the picket line in Verdity of Lourdes, along with Chakta, Melda Munster and other local representatives, and later today I'll be outside Loud County Hospital with them in Dundalk. And the nurses and the midwives on the picket line don't want to be on strike. But it's clear from the overwhelming public support that they're receiving that people, including patients who are being affected by the strike, don't blame the nurses. They understand that the nurses have been badly treated by successive governments. Minister, you must know this, up to 80% of those who are leaving the profession of nursing and midwifery are resigning. They're not retiring, they're resigning. They're leaving the health service. You have failed. Party colleague Imelda Munster told the House that the government needs to take its head out of the sand on this issue. The problem of staffing cannot be addressed until the issues of poor pay and conditions are addressed. That's why your recruitment drive has fallen flat in its face. That's why your recruitment drive has fallen on deaf ears. Nurses are striking for that very reason, good reason, and the public are behind them. So when are you going to get your head out of the sand and deal with the reality that until you address 
Until you address the issue of poor paying conditions, right. your Thank recruitment you, and retention crisis is set to continue indefinitely. Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick told the House that it's the weakest in Irish society that are losing out. All I'm hearing from the government is that they're disappointed that further strike action by the IMO is going ahead. And it keeps saying that the strike is going to be sorted out. The IMO are saying that they're disappointed that they, that they can't talk about the pay. You said the government has no money. The IMO says the nurses need more pay. Listen, please, 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 if you sit down and engage, and, and listen, even start today, sit down today, because it's the vulnerable people in Ireland who has been waiting a long, long time for these services that's not getting the services. A new national inshore fishery plan will be unveiled in the coming weeks. Speaking in the Dáil on Wednesday, Fine Gael TD for Louth, Fergus O'Dowd, asked Marine Minister Michael Creed what plans he has to protect the sector. Is the Minister aware that of the northeast inland, or sorry, inshore fishery fleet that goes from Dublin to the border, that 42% of the boats actually work out of County Loud, and particularly the ports of uh, Clarehead, Anagassan, and Carlingford? And it's a significant, obviously, employer, not just in the fisheries, but also in marine tourism, in processing and transport. And what plans has he, as I said in my initial uh, commentary, to attract? Obviously, to conserve the resources that are there and to attract new entrants, particularly into the industry. We took a decision recently to, to prohibit larger vessels from fishing inside the inshore waters. And I think that is the first time that there has been a recognition of the potential that is there and the opportunity that exists now for the sector to, to reclaim those waters. The Dáil was told on Thursday that plans are underway to reopen the historic Round Tower in Kells. The comments were made by OPW Minister Kevin Boxer-Moran in reply to a question from Fianna Fáil TD for me, the East, Thomas Byrne. The Kells Round Tower is one of the most important monuments in the country, uh, but I suppose people in, in, in Kells have felt historically that, uh, and, and justifiably, Newgrange is a uh, World Heritage Site and that has got uh, most of the attention. Uh, but there is huge potential here to not just have our heritage on show from the, the side of the street or from, from the, the grounds of a church, a uh, own monastery, uh, but also that people would be able to have access to it. So, Minister, I would just like you maybe just to, to, to first of all, to welcome this, uh, but secondly, uh, to ask, when would you expect design solutions to be put in place uh, and when would you expect then that to go to the Minister for, for Culture and then to have that public access? And is there a plan then to fund public access as well? Because obviously you can have the design solution that's very welcome and important, has to happen, but then you need the ongoing expenditure and money that will cost to allow the public in uh, to see this monument. This is a site that I visited. This is a site that Minister English uh, has me, uh, I suppose, wound up on to make something happen. And we did make something happen towards the end of last year. We're now progressing that. But we have engagements in terms of, you know the tower better than I, in terms of the safety uh, of the people is most important. But the fact that the work has now started, we now see, see what it comes to conclusion. Sinn Féin introduced a private member's motion this week calling for the abolition of job path, implying that it only benefits its operators and not those seeking work. Speaking in the Dáil on Tuesday night, Social Protection Minister Regina Doherty dismissed claims that job path has not put people in employment. I have presented the facts about jobs path and I would challenge those to claim who have other information to present them as facts as opposed to anecdotes to support their claims. Jobs Path has provided a significant contribution to this government's success in bringing our unemployment figures down from the height of the recession to what they currently are today. 
And that contribution by Social Protection Minister and Fine Gael TD for Meath East, Regina Doherty, concludes our Loud Me the Oireachtas summary for this week. So until next time, this is Ken Murray for the Houses of the Oireachtas Weekly Report. Thanks, Ken. And Ken Murray will have another Loud Me the Oireachtas report for us in around the same time on next Friday's programme. The reports are brought to you by the Houses of the Oireachtas. Michael Reed on LMFM. The history of uh, the Magdalene women is familiar to all of us, but according to the Irish Times, the story is incomplete. The reason, according to journalist Derek Scally, is uh, that behind every former so-called Magdalene woman was a Magdalene man. The young farmer who took his girlfriend behind the bar, the father who raped his pubescent daughter, the priest who took advantage of a teenage charge. Women, he writes, were disappeared into Ireland's shame, containment facilities, nuns got free labour, hotels got good value laundry, families preserved their honour, parishes avoided scandal and men vanished from view. But who are these men? The Irish Times asks, where are they now and how do they feel today about what happened then? Did these men father children that they never met or is this the story of Ireland's apparent epidemic of immaculate conceptions? Indeed, although somebody corrected me and said it's actually not the Immaculate Conception. We're talking about virgin births. I mean, if anyone hasn't read the article, what I said is that, you know, we spent the last 20 or 30 years talking about women who were in so-called Magdalene laundries, so-called Magdalene women. They were in, you know, last year, you might remember, in, in June, they were welcomed to Orson Uchtaran and there was a tea party and there was an event at the Mansion House. But watch, I was in Dublin that day and I was watching them and I was thinking to myself, well, either they all had virgin births or behind every one of those women was a, a Magdalene man. And I wondered, where are the men? And I suppose in the months since then, we've had this uh, discussion about so-called toxic masculinity. You know, what is it that makes men treat women so badly and believe that they can continue to do so? What is it, you know, in, in the man himself that is part of the problem? Mm. So I, I just sort of thinking and putting two and two together in my mind and I just thought, you know, we could talk in sort of vague terms about toxic masculinity, a term I'm not 100% sure I like, or we could talk about in, in concrete terms and in the Irish context, and that's the men behind the women who ended up in these institutions. Hmm. And in the context of uh, the times that people were living through, because there were very different times and these issues were looked on very differently in the same way that we look on women now was looked on very differently then. Exactly, and I think you've 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 hit on it. It's, it's the we element in all this. I think, uh, for various reasons, perhaps some good reasons, the last twenty five years of you know coming to terms with our Catholic past. You know, there's been a, a very much a, a legal focus for good reason. There were lots of legal cases that needed to be taken, well overdue against priests or other people. Um, but I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that this isn't about them and us. It's about it's always been about us. I mean, mm. even a priest who's, you know, loyal to his bishop and loyal to Rome. He's an Irish citizen with an Irish passport. The nuns are the same. And I think we need to kind of own our past in a way we haven't, because, you know, these women were put outside society and into these institutions. Uh, and it would be a shame if we uh, if we tried to open the debate, broaden the debate to discuss the men uh, and, um, and, and also sort of put them outside because we actually can't deal with the fact that they might have been our brothers or our fathers mm-hmm. or our uncles. And, uh, I mean, that's all the wider abuse debate. You know, this is always about us. And uh, the women, of course, will always be front and centre. These are the people who have suffered extraordinary wrong. Mm. Uh, but they were wrong done at our hands. I mean, these you know, nuns and priests weren't dragging women off in the middle of the night. It was 
often families driving them there mm. to preserve the family shame or the neighbours denouncing them to the priest. So while the religious played a crucial part, uh, I don't think this could have functioned without societal uh, intervention. Of course, in the case of mitres and women, there wouldn't mm. have been a, a sort of a fallen woman without a man who maybe took advantage of a woman. Or perhaps he was a young guy in a relationship with this girl and he thought, you know, we're in love and everything would be okay. And suddenly she gets pregnant and the whole machinery of Catholic Ireland kicks in and next thing you know, she's disappeared and he's been moved on to another town. So we never really knew the circumstances at the time. And uh, rather than get into another cycle of blaming people, I think it would be interesting uh, if, if there are men out there who, who know exactly what I'm talking about, but mm. feel that, you know, we don't really understand the complexities of the times from their perspective uh, to hear what they have to say, how they're feeling about it then, because obviously they can never go back and fix what happened, yeah. but perhaps talking is the next best thing at this stage. Well, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, there was terrible wrongdoing, but uh, I'm sure it's true to say uh, that few enjoyed it, if any at all enjoyed it. In fact, uh, whilst uh, it may be wrongdoing in our eyes today, at the time, a lot of people were doing the right thing, or the only thing that was an option for them to do at the time. When you think of the women themselves, there was no way of bringing up these children or surviving for that matter without the help of the institutions that they'd have gone into. Their families who may have brought them there could have been victims themselves and indeed the men were voiceless apart from being victims. Exactly. I mean, we can't really, we, we, I'd be wary of jumping straight to, well, there was no other option. I mean, many people had families and support networks or perhaps they had the means to go somewhere else. But some people, as you say, they didn't have the, the means or they didn't feel they had the strength to go against the community and the priest. Uh, I, you know, I, I am always very wary of no, the notion of sort of the priest has sort of the entire parish hypnotized and to do his will. I think, you know, there's a certain amount, there's always a certain amount of free will in any situation. Yeah, I'm not but you, you face being ostracized at the same time, Derek, back then. I mean, we did live in very different times. Of course, but um, then we, if that if that logic applies to families, it mm. will also apply to the men. The men yes. perhaps were mm. fearing that they would be ostracised. Oh, absolutely, so yeah. We need to mm-hmm. we keep the women, I think, front and centre at all times in this because let's be honest, the compensation issues uh, and the memorial issue are still very much alive. That hasn't been solved mm. yet, and the nuns still aren't handing over records. So really, we we, have, we even haven't finished with the first stage, so I'm anxious not to distract attention from that. The energy mm. still needs to go there, but there's a huge part of the narrative missing, and that is the men. Mm. And as a 41-year-old Irish man, it really pains me that we we just we don't seem to feel able. Perhaps people are afraid of coming forward because they're afraid they'll be denounced because maybe they feel Irish society will latch onto them as the next baddies, you know, after the priests and the nuns. Let's latch onto these men, you know, toxic masculinity. Weren't they terrible people? Well, you know what? If we did that, we'd just be repeating the, 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 the pain of the past when we call these women fallen women and society sort of ostracized them. Mm. So I would be hopeful that, you know, after 25 years of talking about this, we've matured as a society and we realise that usually every case is different. Of course there are men, you know, taking advantage of women. There always will be. That's the history of men and women. But I'm sure there are men out there who were also, circum- I won't say victim, but um, people in circumstances, people facing, you know, the priest, facing the family, facing the neighbourhood, and perhaps weren't strong enough at the time and perhaps regret bitterly that they weren't strong enough at the time. But it would be very interesting to hear about those dynamics because who am 
I to judge? You know, what, what dynamics are we facing today that we're not even strong enough to face down? So I suppose with my piece, I was just encouraging people very gently. I think mm. empathy is what we need now. We've had enough judgment in the past, and we've seen where that led us. A little bit of empathy, a little bit of understanding, and uh, as one Irish man to another, mm. what was going on then, and uh, why did you act as you did? Because we can't go back, can we? I mean, we can't fix anything that happened then, but I think talking is probably the next best thing. Yeah, and it, it probably is a, a way of trying to uh, complete uh, the story, because uh, whilst we have most of the story and the terrible wrongdoing uh, that uh, occurred uh, throughout decades in this country and uh, the damage that was done to women who were shamed by being put mm-hmm. into these institutions, there were those who were left silent uh, and quite often didn't want that to be the case, or you'd assume they didn't want it to be the case, uh, but were prevented for whatever reason. Uh, you've been uh, writing about this, you call them the Magdalene Men, and you've been asking people to make contact with you as well, Derek. Indeed. I mean, some people have already made contact. If people are out there wondering, God, I don't want to be the first. Well, rest assured, uh, they won't be the first. People have made contact. I definitely sense people want to talk. And I think, you know, non-judgmental, I'm just there to listen, empathetic, and we can decide if anything is to happen with the story, or maybe they just want to get it off their chest. Um, my email address is uh, dscally, that's D-S-C-A-L-L-Y, all together, at irishtimes.com, dscally at irishtimes.com. Uh, you can also call the switchboard in the Irish Times, that's Dublin 675-8000, Dublin 675-8000. But, you know, this is uh, the last piece of the puzzle, and I think Ireland will be all the better for hearing your story. Derek Scully is uh, the Berlin correspondent for the Irish Times and brings our programme to its conclusion today because our time has run out on us once again. Before we go, thanks as always to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching and Ross Lee, who was, a, who was in the control tower. Hope you've had a lovely weekend and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.